Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. Today's podcast is a recording of part of my Instagram live series. I chatted with Irish beauty entrepreneur and previous UK apprentice candidate Pamela Laird as my guest on the Instagram Live Entrepreneur and Expert series. Pamela has been her own boss for many years from 2016 and established beauty brand Moxie Loves not long after that. Many of you may know Pamela from her time on the UK show The Apprentice, where she battled it out in the boardroom. But her focus is now on growing her brand Moxie Loves, which you can find in many retailers, Primark and Boots, to name just two. Moxie Loves brings innovative, clever, clean beauty products to the masses. The brand is designed to make beauty simple, fun and affordable. Pamela discussed challenges she faced along the way and pivoting her business products when sales of her bestsellers dropped dramatically. She talks about her vision for waterless beauty and what personal and professional success look like to her. Let's get started then. And uh, thanks for joining me today, Pamela. And for those that um, aren't, don't know your background, can you just start with a little bit about your background and how you started in the industry that you're in? Of course. So I started very young. I did all my qualifications for nails when I was in third year and fourth year in school. So about 15, 16. Um, So I definitely started young in the beauty industry. And then when I left school at 18, I opened up my own nail bar. um, And I ran that for about nearly four years. So I was really definitely always destined to be in beauty. My mum had a beauty salon when I was growing up. So I just loved everything about it. And that kind of got me started. And I started to get recognized for nails a lot. So I started doing photo shoots. And that was just a lovely side to the industry too that I really enjoyed. And then I sort of realized I can't really scale this business the way I'd want to. I found it difficult with staff and quality control. And of course, like everything, everybody wanted me for nails. Everyone would want to come in and have me do the nails. And I even saw the same with my mum in the salon. So I sort of had this moment where I was like, okay, this isn't really what I want to do forever. And I took a step back and that's when I started working on my brand, Moxie Loves. So for those who don't know, I'm a founder of a beauty brand, Moxie Loves. And that was kind of my beauty journey in a a little snapshot. And how long, so when you started thinking about Moxie Loves, Mm -hmm. from, from idea to first product launch, how long did that take for you? Gosh, it was about two years. If, I, if I'm to go back to when I started thinking about it, when I started putting the wheels in motion, it took two years for sure. I think um, if you think it's going to take you X amount of time, it's probably going to take you 10 times. That was definitely what I learned. Um, and yeah, when you're working full time, trying to do it on the side, you you aren't fully on it. And so it does kind of trickle in the background while you're working away. So yeah, I would say two years in total. And was there a point where you stopped doing the nails and focused on like Moxie Loves before it launched or did you keep on doing, did you keep a lot of plates spinning while you were trying to do that? I kept a lot of plates spinning. Like I definitely put all the eggs into the basket, if you will. But at the same time, I knew the value in keeping my foot in the industry because I was working on photo shoots with beauty editors and 
celebrities and models and they were all people who helped me launch my brand they were the people who spoke about it they were the people I was able to get the product into their hands so I knew the value of being in the industry meeting these people organically and also being able to spot when my product might be appropriate to hand them or if they had something coming up they'd be like oh Pam actually your product would be perfect for this and so I was constantly in their mind so I knew it was valuable to, to keep that going. And when you were starting how did you first come up with so was the first product the eye product the, the eye catcher uh, and how did you so for those that don't know it was uh, kind of like a cotton bud but you break off the end and there's a cleansing liquid inside that yes. a great kind of touch-up product to get into the areas that you can't it's very hard I would imagine as makeup artists as well and yes. those people were using it for that um was, so was that the very first product that was the very first product. And I think before I started to develop it, I realized that I had loads of ideas. And so I had about 10 ideas. And I was like, sure, I'll launch like two at the same time. And when I started researching manufacturing, I realized that the minimum order quantities were 60,000 units. And so it was like, okay, we're launching one. <laughs> we're, we're just going to do one, okay? And so my dream of having a range was very quickly narrowed because I was doing something so bespoke and so specific. I didn't have the luxury of ordering 5,000 units. So a lot of influencers around these days launch products and they might be able to do a really small run of something that's already out there, like tan, for instance. You know, there's a million tans that you can just alter a formula and bring it out. And so your yeah. minimum orders are small. This was huge. So how I came up with it was, because I was working a lot on photo shoots, I was watching what makeup artists were doing. And I was also thinking about myself because I'm not a makeup artist, but I was thinking about how I could improve things. And that was, that's always what I'm thinking about when I launch a product. What's there and how can I make it better? And this was something I had actually seen originally um, when I was working in retail. They had like alcohol inside a, a, a cotton bud. So it was liquid inside a cotton bud for sterile cleaning, like instant cleaning. And I thought that would be so clever if you just put eye cleanser inside. So mm -hmm. that's where eye catcher came from. So very, very simple, but something that really just took off instantly for me. And then how, how quickly did it start to scale for you then after that? That was when we first launched, it was quite quick. I struggled for the first two months to get any listings, any emails back from like anybody. I didn't realize that although my product was really good, that I wasn't breaking that conversation barrier with buyers because they were so busy. And so I was looking towards a distributor and around the same time as I got a distributor, Primark actually finally got back to me after cold calling and I just sent product in. And I knew once the product got there, it would be fine. But it was it was understanding how busy these people were and realizing that actually, if you can get on with a distributor early days, you might kind of open more doors. So the distributor really helped me scale because they were an instant Primark supplier. And so we had that. As soon as they were interested, we had that listing sorted. Yeah. And... I mean, I, I used to be one of the buyers of Primark, but I was I had left, I'd moved on to a different area. Gone. <laughs> so don't blame me. <laughs> no, I won't, I won't. <laughs> but that's what I mean. I think I was sending it probably to the textiles buyer or to, you know, and I had no idea what I was doing, to be totally honest. I knew I had a product that would sell for them, but it was that whole, how you get in touch with them. And it's, to be honest, that's still a barrier to entry today for me, you know, in other markets. Yeah, and I think that one of the points that you made in terms of, it's about being resilient as well, that you kept on at it and you didn't take no for an answer and you found a different mm -hmm. route. And, you know, it mightn't have been the route that you had initially had envisaged going down and working with the distributor to start off, mm -hmm. but you got the product in there and, you know, and worked it, so, it in the end. You know, <laughs> yeah. well, it worked. And 
And I know that you've had, had challenges with your first product and with, with some challenges within the business in terms of su sustainable beauty comes along, single-use plastic happens, and you have to change and drop your bestseller. Yeah. What, it was so hard. It was a huge challenge. Huge. I mean, I don't know if I was ready for such a, a curveball. I like, I didn't see it coming. You know, I knew we were moving there. And so I started to research um, sustainable materials before that, but I couldn't get any manufacturer to take me seriously. So there was, there was a question of what, like make it out of something else. We don't have anything else, you know, and that was sort of constant barrier with everything. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll get to it. You know, I'll keep launching into new markets and eventually I'll come back. I'll find the answer. And I didn't have that time. I didn't have that luxury. An underwater photographer took a photo of a cotton bud with a seahorse. Overnight, it was viral. Two weeks later, the EU banned single-use plastics in cotton buds. So my product, done. Even though my product was necessary to be plastic, it, was, it opened up everybody, including my eyes, into what happens to plastic cotton buds and why we need to make a change. Um, so yeah, huge pivot, huge curveball. Um, at a really awkward time, with not a lot of time to fix it. So yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever face anything quite as tough as that again. And I think as well, it's important for people to understand the, the length of time that product development can take, particularly mm -hmm. say in the beauty industry, if it's new formulations or something that you're starting from scratch, that it can take, you know, if it's an existing formulation, it doesn't take as long, but it can take six to 12 months, you know, so you can't just go like that unless you are picking something up off the shelf, you know, and, and changing it. Exactly. And what would you say have been some of the other challenges that stick in your mind uh, that have happened along the way? I think um, I was actually speaking about this earlier and it brought me back to, to what I probably wish I knew now. Um, although working with a distributor was fantastic and is in certain ways, I still work with distributors. There was something I didn't realize had huge value and that's the buyer relationship. So when you're, when you have that relationship yourself, and I just think it's so important to have that, um, having a distributor is fantastic when the team that's there loves your brand you love them you're in synergy they're an extension of your brand and you go into meetings and you smash it and it's great then one person leaves or a new person's assigned to your brand your favorite buyer doesn't like them or they don't have that synergy and therefore your brand gets affected and that's a really tough thing and that can happen overnight too and that was something i really realized that actually i need to be front and center for the big meetings yeah. i need to be involved because if the team changes that's basically as if they're working for me and they've changed because my brand is alongside these people who may not love and feel the passion and therefore that will affect the sell through. So that was one thing that I think is really, I've learned a lot of lessons about and that's just, if you can get a leg up at the beginning, but then try and bring as much of that back as you can, outsource your logistics fine, but that sales relationship is so, so important to to have in within the brand. And I think as well, the that like you say, that direct relationship with the ship with the buyer the sales intel that you get um you know because i remember when i was working again for primark that and we would have meetings and i would say well if this type of product as well this type of product as well and even though you know it might inspire you in some way or another to on some kind of a development path you know it's not saying that you copy you know that you copy things but basically you get inspired and you're like all oh, right okay actually if we do that that and that and that works for them or, you know what i mean it's just that kind of information as well and um in terms of your vision for the brand, where do you see um, that going? Or what can you share? I know there'd be some things that you've got, uh, you know, five-year plans, three-year plans. Of course. And, uh, but what can you share with us in terms of where you see um, the brand going? 
I think I've really stumbled upon where we are now, which is waterless beauty. And probably, if I'm being totally honest, by mistake originally. And it was really through really deep product development and trying to figure out why certain products were better or worse. And taking it back to my mum being a facialist and how certain things were mixed in the salon ready for the facial because it was at its most potent. And why that was and why some products that have water in it are less effective or are irritating because of certain preservatives that are put inside or whatever it is to stabilize the product. So on a journey, I realized that there was huge value in waterless beauty, not only from a skin loving perspective, which was the way I started, but actually from an environmental perspective and how, you know, we are going to be conserving water as a natural resource heavily over the next few years. And the fact that the first ingredient in shampoo and it could be 80% or 90% of your shampoo bottle is water and even your micellar waters is water and so that will have to change eventually and I might be a little early but I'm actually happy I'm a little early and why I did it was for a full reason of skin and environment and so I think we're going to if I have a good vision we're going to be a big name in waterless beauty and that is the vision Um, and of course global domination as well you know we're just (laughs) we're just about to launch into Australia into 400 stores there so that is just I can't even believe it are you able to share which retailer yes it's chemist warehouse uh, so they have stores in New Zealand they actually have stores in Ireland now I think they're opening their second one in Ireland um but yeah we're launching into they're the biggest retail chain over there at the moment so it's it's fantastic so is it New Zealand or is it Australia or is it both? So I think there's like a few doors in New Zealand, but mainly Australia. Oh, wow. fantastic. Yeah. And um, obviously you went on The Apprentice. I did. How, how did that come about and um, what made you do that? Well, after I kind of dusted myself off and brought two new products to market, I realized that I needed cash. So I wanted to scale and and I needed to build up the brand again with more products so I thought okay I actually can't do this quickly enough on my own I can't you know we've takes two months from China after I paid for the stock then I maybe don't get paid for 90 days from a supplier or you know from a customer so it's just cash flow and I thought okay I need an investor where am I going to go like I I don't really fit in in a boardroom I don't have a business degree I don't have a traditional tech company where people are just throwing money at me so what can I do and I said to my friend and she was like what about The Apprentice? And I had never seen an episode of The Apprentice ever. And she said, I'm watching it right now, you'd be amazing. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then I looked into it and I saw a couple of the investments he'd made and they were doing extremely well. Like I was really surprised. They were all doing well. Everyone he invested, everything he touched turned to gold. So I thought, okay, sure, I'll, I'll apply. And so I applied and sure, three auditions later and then all of a sudden I was on a plane to London filming for three months. It was crazy, crazy period of time, but a fantastic experience. And what do you think would was your biggest takeaway from that whole experience? I think um, the team aspect, you know, I'm an only child and I'm an entrepreneur a long time on my own. And I think I probably didn't put as much value in a team. And if, if again, if I could go back and say something earlier, it would be build your team. Because working in a team with really good people just is, is so inspiring, firstly, but there's so much value in that. And I probably held off on my own far too long and I, I I now miss that group environment that I had when we were filming because we were basically running mini businesses at every task and so having a great team and sometimes the team was terrible but sometimes it was really good and it just it just made for a great win you know and I feel like that's what's missing in my business today. And um, so do you 
are you making moves to build a team or do you know what can do you use a lot of freelance people or contract people or how um to be totally honest, I do a lot on my own, which is not a good thing. Um, and I'm, you know, very aware that that's a bit of a risk. No, the first thing, you know, it's in my pitch deck is the team. The team is so important. It's And it's really now important to me. It's not just something I'm saying is important because that's what I should say. It's actually important to me. And I think it will be the success of the company if we can build a team and scale. And I think having investment, you can really attract in that talent. And I think as well, like you say, from a you can you can only wear so many hats to a certain point yeah you know and then when you for you to propel the business forward you have to do that while you get yes. the, you get a team around you and you can't go here when you're still there yeah you're so yeah. right you know and um in terms of like retail and are there any other retailers that you have on your list that you're able to say yeah you know i i have them on my vision board or they're there where i'd love to see the products Totally. I mean, Primark was the first one. The first, I, when I made the product, I thought of it for Primark. And, and I still do to a certain extent with some of the products that I make. I'm like, yeah, that's a Primark product. Um, like, listen, Ulta would be the ultimate goal in the US. Ulta is just, I would love, love, love to have my products there. I think I used to say Sephora back in the day, you know, when I started my brand. But actually, it's not Sephora, even though I love shopping there. I'm not yeah. a Sephora brand. I'm definitely more of an Ulta you know, a Walgreens brand and that is the target. And obviously even closer to home, Sainsbury's, you know, I would absolutely love to see my product on Sainsbury's shelf. They have a fantastic beauty offering and yeah, yeah my products would sit really nice. Yeah, they have a great. They've really up their game. I've noticed that as well in terms of the other brands. That yes. Great. I'll do a little comp shop for you and send you over some photos. Oh, <laughs> <thanks>. <laughs> so I'm obviously based in the UK. So there's some great, great stores near us. And what, what does personal success look like for you? What, what does personal success and professional success look like for you? I wish that they were separate. I, like, I can't say that they are. You know, business good days affect me personally in a really good way. And on the flip side, the same can be said. You know, bad business day is personal. It, and I don't know whether that ever changed. I mean, maybe as, as you scale up and it, it affects you personally less. But at the moment, I'm so invested personally in my business, like emotionally, that that honestly is what brings me joy and makes me sad uh, you know that and so to have that succeed to get an investor to be able to build the team to, to tick all of those milestones will really personally feel successful to me and that that honestly does bring me so much joy I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs would say the same thing that they're just so invested in it and what advice would you give to people that are um thinking of starting out you have to just start. I think I've heard that so many times and I don't know if I ever really knew what it meant until I started speaking one-to-one -one with people who like needed a bit of a push and it was like, should I, you know, make a name first? Should I try a product? And it was like, no, you do everything at the same time. Do whatever feels right. You know, make your colors, do whatever connects you to your brand. Just try and reach for that first because everything merges into one by the time you get to the top and you're ready to buy the stock or you're ready to do whatever it might be so just start um, and if it feels scary then you're probably on the right track and for those when you have had difficult times what has been the thing that's kept you kind of pushing through I actually think sometimes I probably hate to admit this the difficult times are sometimes exactly what you need to push on 
Um, I'm a bit stubborn, so a bit like, oh, well, if that didn't work out, I'm going to do something else even bigger and make it work out. So um, I do feel that that's probably the bit of resilience, the determination, that kind of, and the pressure. Like I, I, I like the pressure sometimes and I think I excel. So if I get a bad day, I might have to take a few hours and dust myself off, but the, probably the next few hours that I get back on are really, really productive. And it's because I'm determined just to make it happen. Fab. Thank you so much um, for that. I, I agree completely with you in terms of it's just starting and, mm-hmm. um, you know, going forward, being resilient. And, yeah. you know, I think there's so many people that work so hard for others that if they put that focus into their own business, yeah you know then they can just propel it forward because you'll never work as hard as you do when you work for your own business you think you work hard you know when you're working for somebody else but it's a different kind of hard because you know you're building either a legacy business or a lifestyle business for yourself and your family yes it's a completely different um it is it's a different kind it's a different kind of the reward is so much better you know a win like with a retailer or something when it's your own product and you see it on shelf there's there's just no feeling like that like it's it's and, you know, it's a thrill and I'm sure, I'm sure it'll never get old. You know, as we keep yeah. getting new retailers, it just gets more and more exciting. And there'll be new milestones for it, you know, yeah. because obviously Primark was a milestone for you. The Apprentice, yeah. I would imagine, was an, another milestone. Going into Australia, you know, and getting other countries and regions will be a milestone. Yeah. When you were starting out, certain press coverage would have been a milestone. Yes. And <laughs> Even when the packaging arrives and it's okay, that's like almost like, yeah, we're on the right road. <laughs> <laughs> the excitement when you know nothing that that's not gone wrong, you know, which is fantastic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been there, yeah, when you've invested so much time money into it. But if anyone has any questions, if you want to put them in the comments that are relating to uh, any questions you have nothing about whether Pamela or I are beautiful or <laughs> you don't want to hear that <laughs> yeah but we you know, do, yeah. do you know what I feel like a lot of people this year and over the last since COVID have actually started asking for help more which I think is great and probably everybody's in a position to give help and a bit more time than you would normally and especially with Zoom as if you can hop on a call with someone have an hour and and just really share and help and guide if you can, because I really feel like paying it back is so important. Even if it's something like, I obviously don't know everything, but I certainly know things that have gone wrong and, and maybe just how to avoid that happening. You don't always have to learn by actual example. You can actually avoid some things that are just painful, you know? Um, so. And then there's a question from uh, Susie about um, how do you find people find your brand most in today's world is a social media or Instagram. So basically how are people discovering you as a, as a new brand? I think it's interesting. I think it's a lot of, a, a bit of both because we're on social media, we're quite strong, we're quite educational, we have a lot of video content and that really connects because our products are quite Instagrammable. But then I think sometimes when you see it online and you, it plants a seed and then when you see it on shelf in your favorite store, that's a confirmation then. So nearly being on shelf in boots is almost marketing in itself because they're like, oh, that's that brand. And yeah. then then the purchase may happen there or they might go online, but that is almost together. And I think it's difficult in a world where maybe a lot of direct consumer brands are pushing that, but I still see value in retailers because it's a stamp of approval from a retailer. And people think, well, if you're there, that means you're good. And that is really important to me. And especially in Primark, because someone might see it in Boots and go, I saw that and now it's here and I can pick it up. And so I think all of that is so important for us as a brand. And I think we speak to our customers at every level. And I think it's that whole, like you say, it's that no like and trust factor. And it's that 
just that reinforcement of as a brand. And I noticed as well, um, it, it's different tools as well that you can use to, to sell the product yes. from a social media point of view is on your website. Is it a quiz that you have on your leave? I can't remember if there was a quiz or a questionnaire or something like that. There's, a, there's quite a fun... Um, yeah, it's, it's interactive page. a little bit. Yes. Yeah, you know, those kind of things. And how, in terms of different tools you've used to sell um, products, how mm-hmm. have you used um, influencer marketing much? We have, actually. And I think it's been 50-50 for us. We've done kind of specific campaigns for promotion and that's been really really good like really heavy hit on one day let's say that's worked really well for us with multiple influencers but then I think you know we've worked with bigger influencers and I can't say that we saw the return that we should have but I think that's the thing it's difficult and and like any marketing it's hard to measure all of the time but sometimes I think that if you now when we work with an influencer, it's all about how that content can be repurposed. So whether they post about it, we can then share it and then we get more value if let's say that that day the influencer's views were down because that happens, you know, that's out of a lot of people's control. Or if if a post just doesn't make it, at least we can then repurpose that content. We can push it out. We can share with our retailers. So there's a lot of conversation going, but I do think that the budgets need to be, you need to have a good budget to keep up with the, with the social media, like marketing with influencers. For me, I think it's, it does require a good bit of budget. And how has the um, pandemic affected your business? Hugely. I think when originally, like I mentioned, creating a product with something like Primark in mind and having stores close very difficult because we're not a product that was easily transferable online. You know, our price points are three ninety five, seven ninety five, but the RRP could be that again. So it's hard to add value online when your price points are quite low. We're that impulse purchase. We're at the queue system. You know, we're that thing you add to your basket. We're not the thing you pay shipping again for online, you know, and it was hard because a lot of our marketing at the time was switching to travel because it was coming into the summer. And so, it was a big moment to think about some of the the MPD we had coming down the line, how we could make that robust enough, no matter what was happening in the world. So moving a, a slightly higher price point, just to be able to kind of go online if we when we have to. And, and that was something that it taught me a lot of lessons. You know, you can't be too heavily reliant on, on your volume retailer like Primark. Yeah, or one kind of income stream mm. for one product, I suppose, which is what you would have learned early on yes i'm gonna wrap it up there pamela thank you so much and i'm looking forward to thank seeing you. you in ulta when you on yes. that <laughs> we'll come back and have a chat then and i'll have a new one <laughs> yeah and i'll um i'll i will pop to sainsbury's and send you some um thank i've got some so contacts much. for you in those um for australia Fantastic. as well but i will so I'll send you some message. but thank you so much have a lovely evening thanks so much for having me thank you there are lots of great gems there thank you very much speak Bye-bye. soon bye Pamela for joining me and sharing her story. You can find the link to Pamela's website Moxie Loves in the show notes. And if you want to see and hear more from me, then follow me on Instagram at the Bar and Retail Coach, where you can DM me if you're interested in working together, or email me at Nicole at the Bar and Retail Coach.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the weekly Start Scale Succeed podcast for tips, insight from me, other experts, and entrepreneurs. See you next week.